Because a couple of Sundays ago, I stated that every human is born in sin and is either eternally saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ when they die, or they are bound and therefore bound for glory and, and the presence of God, or they are lost and therefore bound by bound in, in eternal punishment at the point of their physical death. So now, that, that is based upon our... Well, it's mainly based upon the work of God, because we said that all salvation is through, through God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that, that action takes place before the foundation of the world. But how do little children figure in this? And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Well, it may turn out to be more than a little bit. But we're going to talk about that this morning. And, and what is the age of accountability? I've got a little bit too much of something. I got, I'm too, too loud. Let me try this. Okay, now. All right, you can still probably turn me down a little bit. And and we have we have backups on our sound system day. If one mic acts ignorant, well then we have others. So we're, but we're going to try to go. All right. What is the age of accountability? That's where we're going to start. You know, because we always say that if a, if a child dies before the age of accountability, then he is or she is is safe, if not saved. And so, what does the Bible say about the the age of accountability? What does the Bible say about about the, the eternal destiny of children who are too young to make a decision for Christ. Well, let's start with the age of accountability. The Bible has no reference to the age of accountability. And the closest that we come is where we find out that Jesus uh, went to the temple in Luke chapter 2. He went to the temple when he was 12 years old. And we know that at that point, at the age of 12... He was interested in the things of God. Of course, he's going to be interested in things of God. He is God, you say. But he's also man, and, and he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew up as a child. He was 100% man. He was 100% child when he was a child, as well as being 100% God. And so he, he is, has, has, uh, has limited himself in, in, in effect. And, and so as a 12-year-old child, he was a 12-year-old child. On, unlike most twelve-year-old childs, he was obedient to his parents. He, uh, I mean, because because he didn't have the sin of Adam dwelling in him. He, his father was the Holy Spirit, right? And born of a virgin, so he could he could be a twi- child and not be drawn toward that that have that Adamic Adamic sin in him. But he was interested in things of God. It says he asked questions. And the elders marveled at, at his, his response and his, his wisdom. So 12, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the age of accountability, but that doesn't work very well because you know some kids who are, are mature enough to know right and wrong before they're 12, and you know some, some people who are not mature enough to know right and wrong even beyond the age of 12. So the biblical term for children who are... are under the age of, of what we'd say, the age of, under the, the point of being able to be accountable to understand right and wrong, is the term innocent. We see it used in Jeremiah chapter 19. And let me read a little bit of that for you. In Jeremiah 19, verse 4, 
It says, because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocents. Now, what that means is those who are legally guiltless. Those who do not know right from wrong. We'll hit that in just a minute. That's a description of children. And what they're talking about is, if you read on in 5, they have built a high place to, the, to Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. So that's a description of children, innocents, who are those who are not guilty before the law of God because they have no understanding of the law of God, no sense of the law. Now, another biblical term that refers to children is those who are without the knowledge of good and evil. So you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy, that's the second law. Sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39. The scripture says, And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go into the promised land. That's what, what it's about. But here's the description of children. Those who have no knowledge of good or evil. That's a description of, of children in the Old Testament, in the Bible. They have no understanding of what is right and wrong. So they are not responsible moral agents. Another, we find in Jonah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So if you find any of those, you can just... And at the last verse of the, of the book of Jonah, Jonah is whining about God not destroying Nineveh after he had preached such good sermons to them. And God says, in verse 11, Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? That's a description of children. There were... 120,000 children in Nineveh, we could say. Because that's a description of children. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. There are a lot of things they don't know. Which is, Now, all this, I'm going to talk about, about their, their salvation. But as we describe children, I want you to also understand that this is a description of why children need parenting, not friends as, you know, in their families. Because children are... I don't want to say they're dumb, but they, they're just not, they don't, they don't know. They don't know how to act. They don't know what they, what they should like. They don't know what they shouldn't like. They don't know what, what to do and what not to do. And so God has given them parents to lead them and guide them and point them to Jesus. Now, we're going to make a case for their, their being innocent before God and going to heaven when they die. But we have the opportunity for those who don't die and grow up to be accountable to make them understand and to love Jesus. Just in case I leave that out somewhere down the line. Hear that now. We as adults, we as parents, we as grandparents, we as friends, we as adult people who know the truth have a responsibility to point children who do not know truth toward Jesus. They don't know their left hand from their right. 
And let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. I told you, Bible drill. Isaiah chapter 7, you can just listen, because I happen to have that one marked. Verses 15 and 16. Now, that here there's a description of a, of a curse that has been uh, expressed by a prophet. And in, uh, in Isaiah 7, verse 15, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign that is not what I want. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, here, 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. This should be before he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Before the, Yeah, that's verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose kings you dread will be deserted. Before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. That is a description of a child who is unaccountable for his sin. And so, since we don't know an age, but we do have a description of what, what God calls children in their innocence, it might be better to, ha- to use the term, the condition of accountability, under the condition, or before the condition of accountability, instead of under the age of accountability. Because the age can vary, but the condition of accountability is what we're talking about. So let's talk about this uh, some some uh, some arguments for there being such a thing as a condition of unaccountability. Now, I, I know that, that I don't have to make this case because most of you really believe that, that when a child dies, before he understands right and wrong, he goes to heaven. But now, if theologically, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all includes children, right? God do see all as all, don't you? So theologically, biblically, every person who is born is born with the sin of Adam in themselves, other than Jesus, who didn't have an Adam father, had a Holy Spirit as a father. And so all are accountable for their sin, and therefore a child who has not made a decision for Christ, who has not made a confession of Christ as Lord and Savior, who has not repented of that sin, would be accountable for that sin. Okay, so what we believe isn't as important as, what, as the Word of God. So what we want to find here is justification for our belief in the Word of God. Okay, so now, here are some arguments from the Bible for that condition of unaccountability. We have already said that we've made the case for there being children, our children not knowing right from wrong. But how do we, that doesn't mean they're not accountable. Accountable. We want to make the case for that ignorance, excusing them from accountability for their sin. Let's look at Job. Job is the book just before Psalms. And Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. If you go to Psalms, thumb left, and you'll find Job. Perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. In Job chapter 3, Job opens his mouth and curses the day of his birth. Verse 1. If you go on down to verse 11, 
He says, why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why did the breast that I should nurse? For then, if he had died, then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth. Now, Job is saying, because he's entered into all this turmoil... He's saying it would have been better if I had died when I was a baby. He's not just being fatalistic here and saying, I wish I were in the grave because we know that Job, from reading the rest of the book, Job believes in eternity, eternal life. Job believes that he has a redeemer who is going to again stand upon the earth and that he's going to see God in his body. You can leap over to, to Job chapter 19. Verse 25, and there he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, God whom I shall see for myself. Isn't that something? Job, Old Testament, believed in eternal life. A lot of times we get the word that the Old Testament saints didn't believe in, in, in eternal life. Job is the oldest and he believed in eternal life, that he was going to present himself, be presented before God in a body. And he says that it would have been better, since, since there is an eternal life, and since there is a judgment before a holy God, he said it would have been better if he had died when he was a baby because he knew that babies are received in the presence of God. The one that, that's most familiar probably to you and, and to me is, is from David after the death of the son of Bathsheba. And while, while the baby was, was sickly and dying, David was mourning and fasting, and then he saw some servants talking, and he figured out that the baby had died and he got up and washed himself, and he came to eat, and they said, he has gone crazy, apparently. But he said, no, that's not the case. And you can find this in uh, let me see, 2 Samuel 12. This is what he said. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Now we know that David believed in eternal life. Even though he was a sinner, he believed in the grace of God. He's called a man after God's own heart. When he's talking about going to this child who has died, he's not talking about going to the grave or being buried beside him. He's talking about the hope that he has. He's not, he's not getting worse at this point. He's getting better because he knows the child is now comforted with the father and that one day David himself will go to where he is. So you can do that in, in either direction. David knows he's going to heaven and he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet the child. Or he, you could say he knows the child has gone to heaven and one day he's going to go. You know, it's either, either you can put the chicken or the egg first, whichever. Now there's another... Um, speaking in, in, this is the curse I was talking about in 1 Kings, where the son of Jeroboam's youngest, uh, his youngest son, is, 
is used as a sign of what God is going to do. And, and in, in, I want to read this, First Kings, because there's this, there's this description of what's going to happen. And in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 11, the prophet tells the mother of this child, Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. Anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house, and when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. He only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was an evil king. Chose against God, led the nation away from God. And so God spoke this, this, this curse through a prophet and telling the mother of this child, the wife of Jeroboam, what's going to happen. And what he says is all of Jeroboam's descendants are evil and they will die terrible deaths and they will, be, they will not even be buried. But this one child, this child who has not chosen against God will be buried because God sees goodness in this child even though he is a descendant of Jeroboam because he is a child God loves him. So he's going to be, he'll be buried and mourned for. Now in Luke chapter 18 where we read earlier, Jesus calls the little children to him. This account is, is recorded also in Matthew 19 and version Mark 10. And in all of those, Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come to me. Don't hinder them. The disciples were appalled that parents would bring their children to Jesus. Even though it was apparently a common custom to bring children for blessings to elders. Especially at that Passover and such times. So it was common, but they thought Jesus is too busy right now to mess with little children. And Jesus said, you do not hinder these children from coming to me because of such is the kingdom of of heaven, the, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, here's a note. Some people look at this and say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't cover all children. He's just talking about the children that were brought to him at that time. And so the ones that he touched, the parents were bringing, him, bringing, to him, bringing them to him to touch. And the ones that he touched and those that he blessed, those were, had some kind of special blessing and took them to heaven. And so he's just saying that the kingdom of heaven belongs to these, but that's not the language. That's not the English language. That's not the, the Greek language. In both cases, the, the language says that such as these, not these, but to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. And the, and the term means those who are like these. And what were these like? These were infants, not just little, little toddlers, but even, even nursing babies. That's, that's the language, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him. That he might touch them. And then later on it uses the word for a child down in, in verse 17. So babies uh, are children of all ages 
who are unable to know right from wrong, Jesus says, to these, even to these, belongs the kingdom of God. And he blesses them. Infants, little children. And this is the only time that Jesus blesses anyone who has not expressed belief in him. So, these children do not have to have enough zip, enough understanding to put their faith in Jesus. It is just by the grace of God and and the word of Jesus that they are a part of the kingdom. Suffer them. Let them come. Send them forth. This is a a good... uh, Send them to me is a good translation of that term that that in King James is is translated as suffer, and in the modern translation says, let them come to me. It really could be saying, send them to me. Don't forbid them. Okay, here's, here's a little point, a little side point. Do not forbid them to come. Woe to any parent who would hinder their children from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody offers to take them to Sunday school and and some parent says, Oh, no, no, no. I had religion crammed down my throat and I'm not going to do that to my children. I'm going to let them make a decision for themselves. Although they don't feel that way about their children drinking uh, poison. Woe to any adult, any parent who hinders a child from coming to Jesus at any point. Whether they're too young to understand, they still are under the influence, they'll learn what to love, or whether they're getting to be the age of understanding. We adults need to be sure that children have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and certainly do not hinder them. So what are the the conditions for being before this condition of accountability or, or in the condition of unaccountability? Well, they have to be unable to understand salvation. So that would include anyone who is unable to believe or understand. Anyone who is, who is unable to take responsibility for their, for their understanding, for themselves. So it, it, could, it could extend to those who, who have a limited ability to understand. Okay, so it, it, again, so that, that gets it out of that realm of an age, but instead deals with a condition of not being able to, to take responsibility for their own decisions. Another condition for this condition of unaccountability, we'll call it, is that these children, these who are described... In the Old Testament, where it called those not knowing their right hand from their left, or those without the knowledge of good and evil, or the innocent, or before knowing how to refuse evil and choose good, all of those terms describe people who do not resist or resent the gospel. You with me on that? See? Because... Once a, once a person gets to the point of accountability to understanding the gospel of God and, and having the ability to say, I understand it, but I don't want it, that's resistance. 
And there are some who say, well, it's just unfair for there ought to only be one way to come to God. That's resentment. And this unaccountability is for those who have not resisted and not resented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that that they're not disobedient to their parents because that's part of of being sons of Adam. It doesn't mean that they're not obstinate because children can be obstinate and still be unaccountable before God. It has to do with the gospel, understanding the offer of God's grace and repentance. And repentance. Now, what is not required before the condition of accountability, this condition of unaccountability? Well, if, if you notice... In all these cases where these who are are described as innocent or without knowledge of good and evil or children here in the case of Jesus inviting them, he says, of such, for such is the kingdom of God just like they are in their innocence. And you know where where he's talking this. It drove the Pharisees crazy. Because he didn't say that they needed to reach a a certain level of works. That's why why the Pharisees thought children are unimportant. We don't care if they they hear about God or not, although they they did teach children in the synagogue. And the the Old Testament does tell parents to, to teach your children that the Lord God is one. But they're not important because they don't have anything to offer. They don't have any works to show. They don't have any reputation. But Jesus says these are belonging into, in the kingdom of God without works, without religious devotion, without knowledge of religious things or spiritual things or theology or even right and wrong. They are welcomed in. And so it, it means that... that he welcomed these kids who had never been baptized. My little sister was born in a Roman Catholic hospital in Laredo, Texas. And she was born premature. And so she was born sickly. And the, nur- and the, and the nurses and the, 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 the nuns wanted to be sure she got baptized in case she died. Then she would have a shot at heaven because she would then go to uh, Limbus Infantum. Limbo for children. But Jesus doesn't say they need to be baptized to get into limbo or to get into heaven. He says they are saved by virtue of their innocence and by virtue of the love and care of God for children. They didn't have to be baptized. Their parents didn't have to be faithful. They didn't have to have any qualifications other than being in the category of babies, children, who don't understand. So how can that be? Now here is where we're going to have to work on your philosophy of religion, your philosophy of theology, your interpretation of the Scripture. How... Do these children get into heaven? They get into heaven by having been chosen by God. 
they get into heaven by having been predestined to get into heaven. These children who die as children, even though they were born in sin of Adam, even though in, in their very souls they are guilty before God, by virtue of their birth, being part of the sons of Adam, daughters of Adam, they are saved because God has chosen them, God has predestined them, God has elected them before the foundation of the world. They fit into Ephesians 1. The latter part of verse 3. Well, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, that is those of us who have chosen Christ, who have listened to his, 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 his calling from the Holy Spirit, who have been faithful to his, the faith that he has given us to respond, and we have been saved. But anybody who gets to heaven, gets to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, we did away with that, that Tartarus and Hades stuff. Because nobody is saved by any means other than by the blood of Jesus Christ. Little children are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without them having confessed him. But by the election and the choosing of God for them to come into his relationship with him. Okay? Not because the kids felt convicted. Not because they responded right but by the grace and mercy of God. That is how everyone is saved. By the grace and mercy of God. They fit into the description of Romans chapter 8. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That describes children who die before the condition of accountability. By the grace of God, he has chosen them and he brings them to himself. There's some comfort for parents who have lost a child for grandparents who have lost a child for friends of folks who have lost a child even even a child of pagan parents god is so gracious and loves children in such a way that he will bring even the child of a lost person into his kingdom because the kingdom of god belongs to those that's a gracious god y'all he does that for those who are, are before the point of understanding right and wrong. Those who have not resisted or resented the gospel. 
and, and just to, now, apart from, from the Bible, just use your, your uh, little thinking here. If, if God were to send children to hell, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a proper punishment. Because when one, of the, one of the agonies of hell is going to be people understanding that they had offended God for eternity. And, and I, I dare say that some who were in hell, would, even if they had the chance to get out, would not get out because they so hate God. But children do not have the capacity to understand punishment. Children do not have the capacity to hate God. They don't have that sinful nature that draws them away from God and makes them enemies of God. So, children go to heaven. They go to heaven by the grace of God. They go to heaven by the choice of God. They go to heaven because they are innocent. They go to heaven because they do not resist the gospel. They do not resent the gospel. They go to heaven regardless of what they have have done and, and what they have not done. Just by the grace of God, they go to heaven. How does anyone go to heaven if they have reached that condition of accountability? See, because that's most of us here. None of us would be mistaken for babies. None of them that I can see. There may be some below the pew. So how do we get into heaven? Well, first of all, it's got to be by God's choosing. It's got to be by God's grace. But it's got to be by an action that he allows us to take part in, and that is choosing him. And so there's a little, uh, what do you call a, a word made out of, out of abbreviations? A who? Acrostic, acrostic, thank you. Yeah, that, that's an easy word, but it's big. But here's the acrostic. A-R-C. You know what an arc is? You know, like, like the rainbow is an arc. And, and, and an arc, what it, what it does, it starts at one point, it goes away, and it comes back. And so that's, that's the picture that I want us to, to see. Because we started as children, dear to God, and, and, and heirs of uh, the kingdom. And then we had the opportunity to walk away, and we did walk away because all have sinned. And all have chosen against God. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned our own way. When we understood our own way, we went it. But God calls us to repent. And so the ARC, here's, here's a little acrostic. A stands for admit. We must admit that we have sinned, agree with God. Admit that we have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We've all sinned. If you don't think you have sinned, Ask your wife or your sister or your brother or your friend. Just review yesterday. Review this morning if you don't think you are a sinner. Or you can go to the Word of God which says you have sinned. If you're breathing, you have sinned. So we admit, we agree with God that we are sinners. And then we repent. So here we are, we are admitting that we're walking away from God, and then we repent, we turn back to God. 
the word actually means to change our mind, to have a mind after God. We change our mind from running our own life to, having, to turning our life back to God so that he runs our life. We turn ourselves back to him. We repent. We turn back toward him. And then we confess. Now, the word confess, we're talking about the, the English word here, the, the normal use of confess, which is to say, say something, you know, that, that we have done wrong, but the biblical term confession means to just agree with God. And so we have already agreed with God that we have sinned, that we are sinners, we admit our sin. We're turning back, and in this confession, we are agreeing with God and stating that Jesus is Christ, He is Savior, that He will save those who come to Him, He will not cast any out. We believe in our heart that Jesus has died on the cross to pay for our sin. That's what the Word of God says. We agree with the Word of God that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sin. And that His burial and His resurrection, according to the Scripture, just put stamp of approval of the proof of that, that fact. And we confess, we believe that He's willing to save those who come to Him. So we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He is raised from the dead. And you will be saved. Now, here's the test of whether that takes, whether that really took. Is there a change? Because we can say all kinds of words and mean none of them. We can sing songs. You can lie in a song just like you can, you know, in a conversation. Oh, how I love Jesus. Liar. In some cases. It's not the words that we say. It is the condition of our heart. Because if your heart has been changed to the point where you desire Jesus, to the point where you understand your sin, to the point where you would confess him as Lord and Savior, it has happened because God has worked in your heart, because the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Something beyond your intellect has taken place. And when that takes place, he will also change the attitudes of your heart. And he will cause you to produce fruit. I invite you this morning to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.